Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 123, Single But Not Solitary. That's right, single but not solitary. I am excited for this episode and I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I'm coming at you from shelter-in-place life here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, down in what we affectionately named last week from our kids as the Spooks or the Down Down Spooky Stairs, which they're not that spooky. They're very nice. Uh, But Matt Krieg is with those girls right now, our daughters, uh, who named this place. And so sad he, the licensed therapist and Argyle expert, could not be with us. But we do have via Zoom our producer and even via Zoom, still the reigning most professional radio voice among us, producer (laughs) Steve. Hi, guys. I miss you, Matt. I know. I will pass that along. It's just like part of our heart is just constantly breaking. (laughs) Uh, But hey, listeners, I just wanted to let you know, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, a way that we can serve you and, you know, you can keep supporting what the ministry is doing here is through some coaching that we're doing. Uh, I've had a couple of you reach out and it's been really fun. And the Holy Spirit has a way of really connecting people, even if we're doing that coaching online. Uh, But what I do is I hear what you're working through. And I am not a licensed counselor, (laughs) just regular old me, but I draw on uh, life experience and the Holy Spirit. I don't draw on the Holy Spirit. I try and listen to the Holy Spirit and um, offer you a next right step, God helping me. But today, guys, we have someone with us who is going to offer us some, some personal coaching via the podcast. And his name is Peter Volk. Peter, welcome. Hey, Lori. Glad to be here. So glad you are here. Guys, for those of you who don't know Peter, uh, he studied at Vanderbilt University, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, and Lipscomb University. And one day a week, he is not just one day a week, he's a licensed professional counselor, but he serves as a licensed professional counselor, and he meets with gay Christians navigating faith and sexuality, and really grateful for that. But his primary job, the other, I don't know, ministry life is more than just the other four days of the week, I'm sure. Um, But he's leading a, a ministry called Equip, which is a team of missionary consultants who help churches become places where gay people can thrive according to a traditional sexual ethic. But when he's not working and, you know, when he's not the therapist as well as doing the ministry work, he has another world that he's living in. And this is why we invited him onto the podcast. He helped to start a monastery in Nashville for Christian men who feel called to vocational singleness for the sake of the kingdom. That's right, folks. A monastery in Nashville for Christian men. And I cannot wait to have this conversation Peter, I know you're excited to dive into it, but why not just take a little detour and let's answer the question of the week from last week, which is, guys, what is your favorite pandemic game to play with your quarantine crew, whether it's online or whether it's in your house? Peter, we're going to start with you. Hmm. So um, I started playing Dungeons and Dragons with my housemates for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I've actually been wanting to play uh, for a while. Well, ever since watching uh, Stranger Things on Netflix. Um, But I just couldn't find the time uh, to consistently sit down for three hour sessions. And then coronavirus hit. Uh, (laughs) For those of you who don't know what D&D is, uh, like I didn't know growing up, it's a role playing game where you create a character, you go on an adventure with other characters played by your friends and one person serves as a narrator leading us through the turns and twists of the adventure. So that's what I've been spending a number of hours doing. That is so fun. Man, I so I was one who grew up hearing like Dungeons and Dragons is like Satan, Satan, triple Satan. <laughs> so we've already like thrown out three things. We're like gay Christian, Dungeons and Dragons, Stranger Things, <laughs> which guys, anything, anything, including Dungeons and Dragons can be twisted and turned evil which is also what God says about our eyes and our hands. And so anyway, I, I know some people very close to me who play it and they they helped explain it to me where I'm like, oh, okay, so this isn't straight up the occult. I get it. This is just fun for people. But anyway, that's awesome. Uh, Steve, yes. games, what, what listener were you like? Yeah, 
I'm in with that. I liked what Sarah had to say. Lately, my husband and I have been engaging in nightly Dr. Mario battles, and uh, we have kind of a history with it. Um, throughout our relationship, we've played, and I think when we started off, he, well, I don't think I know, he was way, way better than me, but he didn't realize I was going to get a lot better, and now we're, we're pretty neck and neck, I'd say, um, and we've had times where we've had to stop playing just for the, the benefit of our marriage, but um, lately, that's been our go-to. We, uh, we usually start off saying, okay, we'll play one game, only one game, just just a series, and and I don't, I don't know if we've ever actually just played one series. <laughs> There's always some reason that we keep on playing. Um, but the competitiveness definitely runs deep. And uh, we were, I thought maybe we could do this uh, this answer together. But it turns out we can't really agree on, on who's the better player and what we should say. So <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Aww. I'm not a huge video game player. My kids really are. But I will say there is a group game. It's almost like a um, like a virtual version of a board game uh, that you can play on your TV screen, and everybody has their like smartphones or tablets, and uh, it's called Fibbage, and it's a lot like um, Balderdash, I guess. Yeah, I know it. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And so anyway, so when uh, when we have everybody together at the house, we play Fibbage. Love it. I appreciated this from Becky, who is on the Hole in My Heart podcast page on Facebook, guys, which feel free to find that. And uh, you have to answer a couple of secret questions to get in. (laughs) Um, But she's a part of that Hole in My Heart podcast page. And she said this. Not sure if what I'm into constitutes a game or not, but I'm really into crossword puzzles right now, Um, especially during the pandemic we're in. I have an app on my phone that... I'm completing puzzles on every day, and because I'm an old school nerd, I've got the old magazine types that I'm going through as well, and do my best to not cheat at the end. I just love people that do crosswords. (laughs) I've mentioned this a few times. Matt is literally 100 years old, and he, before bed, he gets his readers on, (laughs) his little books, and he does his little puzzles, and he's probably, his brain's probably like, I don't know, super young, but, um, and he's not literally 100, I just said that, but he just reminds me of a 100-year-old man, so I love it. I just have this special place in my heart for people who do crosswords and are way smarter than I am. Uh, But one of my favorite games to play in the pandemic is actually with uh, a friend who, uh, well, not just friend, not just friend, brother-in-law who plays D&D as well. And he introduced us to Jackbox games. So these are ones, yeah, have you played uh, Peter's Nodding? I'm seeing through the Zoom. Uh, But we've been playing like Gespionage and TKO and Trivia Murder Party. I don't know. It's super fun, drawful. And so it's ways to make the internet not just Zoom meetings and terrible. (laughs) Um, But you can play these games on different media so if you guys don't know what i'm talking about just research it it's actually been really fun way to be quarantined and play with friends and neighbors and family okay peter i don't know even if you've listened to the podcast before but what's coming at you is a couple questions that we ask everybody (laughs) and i just want to go ahead to the listening audience and just give you a blanket approval that you may steal these questions and use them in your small groups and anywhere you want. I get people ask me, they're like, can we use these questions? I'm like, totally. They're not mine. Well, I mean, whatever. We came up with them, but please steal them. And these are those questions. If the gospel is, I am more loved than I imagine and yet more sinful than I believe. When was that gospel, Peter, first good news for you? And how is it still today? Well, um, I'm an Anglican, uh, so I guess my gospel journey began when I was only a couple weeks old, and my parents baptized me, claiming Christ's work on the cross for me. Um, but from from then until now, it's been this like slow process of understanding God's big, big story more and more, and discovering my part in that story. Um, and mm. then I was confirmed. I confirmed that my parents' faith indeed was my own during confirmation when I was elementary school. But I'll have to say, um, things got real when I realized I was gay. Hmm. You know, for the first time in my life, it was undeniably clear to me that I was broken, Hmm. and that this world was broken. Um, 
And more than ever before, I understood why Christ's death and resurrection was so necessary for me and the whole world. So, you know, over the next decade, after accepting that it wasn't God's will to change my attraction, um, I started asking God really the same question I, I ask him today, which is, God, you know, how are we going to work together to redeem this brokenness for my good and for your glory? Mm-hmm. Um, and that question has really been like the driving force uh, for, for what the gospel is in my life ever since. Um, in college, for example, I, I shared with friends for the first time that I was gay. I actually shared uh, my testimony with my entire Christian fraternity, a uh, hundred guys. Um, so a bit terrifying, but I wanted, uh, you know, straight brothers to know how to love people like me better. And I wanted gay brothers to know that they weren't alone. Uh, and after that, I started doing life with some other Christians who were gay and, and committed to God's wisdom about sexuality. And I quickly realized that all of us were afraid that following God's teachings would mean we would be alone. And none of us had parents or pastors who seemed to know what to do with us. So mm-hmm. fast forward to six years ago, I started. Uh, a ministry to provide parents and pastors with the understanding and skills needed to better love people like me. And then three years ago, I started this monastery we're talking about, the Nashville Family of Brothers, to provide fam- Christian family uh, to Christian men called to vocational singleness for the sake of the kingdom. So, you know, I feel spoiled because even though I've only been around for like three decades, God's already made clear the part I get to play in his big story. And so cool. empowered by the Holy Spirit, I get to help gay people get the love and care from parents and pastors that I never mm-hmm. did. So that's the gospel uh, for me. You know, Jesus came to suffer for us so that we may have fullness of life. And he calls us to follow in his footsteps, laboring often in painful ways so that others can experience a fullness of life that we may only ever taste. And so that's yeah. what the gospel feels like for me. But an idea of remiss if I didn't include one more thing and kind of letting you in on where I am currently, um, you know, a personal um, intimate relationship with Jesus has kind of been non-existent in my life for the past 10 years. Um, I've tried everything to get out of this desert, but slowly God made clear to me that this is just where he has me for now. Mm. Um, And it it sucks. Mm. Like I, I really hate it. But I also trust that God knows what he's doing. Um, And I'm comforted by the testimonies of so many Christians before me who faithfully endured God's silence for years, for decades. So I I just share that to to share, like, everything is not well. Everything's not great. This world is still broken. I am still broken. My story is incomplete. Uh, And then in particular, for those of you out there who experienced some similar silence from God, uh, you're not alone. Mm. So that's where I've been. That's where I'm at these days. I love that. And I have a couple of questions, but really I just want to affirm in you that last piece that you just said, as far as uh, there's just so many people, I want to say in our generation, but I just want to say people in general who like encounter this silent space and they're like, well, screw you (laughs) or, you know, bye, I'm done. Um, and so when I see gritty, hearty endurance, uh, long obedience in the same direction, it just, there's something in my spirit that's like, yes, dang it. Because that is so, so, so what the gospel is about. Um, a question I do want to follow up with, even though, you know, we've addressed this maybe ad nauseum, but we've talked about, you know, gay versus same-sex attracted. So you use the label gay. What does that mean to you? You know, you've referred to it as broken. Uh, Just in case there's new listeners and they're just like, oh, well, I hear that. And like, what? What? I thought that you guys held to the traditional biblical view. Like, what are you saying? So can you just explain that a little bit just for people um, just who are listening aren't confused by that? Yeah. So the whole language conversation is is tricky because in my estimation, uh, every word I could use is problematic. Every word I could use has baggage one way or another. So, you know, I'll say when I use the word gay, I use it to mean boys who are attracted to boys, girls who are attracted to girls, nothing more, nothing, no assumptions about what you believe about sexual ethics, no assumptions about what kind of relationships you're seeking out. Um, 
And, and I, I use it that way, one, because um, that's how my clients in counseling use the word. That's how middle schoolers and high schoolers today use the word. Sure, they assume that you're pursuing a romantic relationship with the people you're attracted to, but they assume that about everybody. Um, so that's not unique to the word gay. Um, and I also use that word because at least with, uh, with the spaces, the people I work with, the phrase same-sex attraction has, has a lot of baggage. Um, it's strongly associated with pray the gay away movement. And, um, and even though, thankfully, we've moved past a lot of those practices in churches, um, even a lot of the younger gay people, they are taught through social media, taught through uh, by older generations of gay people that if someone uses the phrase same-sex attraction, they think they can send you to a camp, give you shock therapy, and make you straight. So run the other direction. Mm-hmm. That's a barrier to ministry, an unnecessary barrier to ministry. So I, I use a mix of language. Ultimately, I try to be clear what I mean when I use certain words. Um, but I don't use that word gay to mean anything more than I experience same-sex attraction. Um, Jesus and Jesus alone is uh, my Lord and on the throne of my life. And uh, every decision is submitted to his wisdom uh, mm-hmm. revealed through scripture and through the church. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. I love it. And again, just for a few, there's new listeners. It, I don't use the phrase gay for me. And my reasoning is it doesn't help me, Lori, to love Jesus more. And I don't think you all even would notice it, but I've noticed when I use that word, even in the silence of my own head, I start to posture myself differently around certain women. And then two, for me, and this is not at all follow exactly me as exactly I follow Christ. I'm just telling you guys just a little difference here, Um, which to me, I don't think this is worth battling (laughs) at all. I like respect and love what you're doing. I respect, I, you know, but my second reason is when my kids hear my story, I don't, there's something intrinsic in my opinion to the word gay that is a looking away from my husband, Matt and my kids, when they see Matt and I love each other imperfectly, (laughs) that's their first image of God. And so if they wake up and hear our story at age, I don't know, eight, nine, 10, we're already sharing pieces, tiny, tiny pieces. And they hear that there's, there could be more questions, not only about me and my eyes on Matt or away from him, but then deeper their sense of God. And so that's just a role that I play. And I recognize some of the baggage. There's no good word. There's no perfect word to play this. I'm like, I like zero words. I like, this is my version to broken sexuality. What's yours? Um, but that's my reasoning. And so I just, I just want to say to people who are listening and want to fight here, I just, it's not worth the battle in my opinion. And it takes away from the real message, which let's just go there. Sure. When I, when I think about your, this monastery that you're building and again, following you on the socials and kind of reading some of what you guys are doing and I put myself in your shoes and, you know, there's many pivotal moments in my life. Um, when I, you know, was going to go be single and then God's like, Nope, that's not the mode. I want you to do the mission to make disciples. But in that moment, when I was either, okay, oh, and God like clearly put me with Matt, mm-hmm. you know, I picture myself and I was like, man, I think what you guys are doing would be really appealing to me. Like if I was in this surrendered state, gay or same sex attracted or blah, you know, I was like, I just, I see it as pretty neat. So can you explain to me, uh, what was, what's this idea that you had and, uh, what is it? What are you guys doing? Yeah, and uh, and to be clear, you know the the natural family of brothers um, isn't just um, you know for people who experience same sex attraction. Um, it's mm-hmm. for men regardless of their sexual orientation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean maybe to start from the beginning, kind of how did we get started? Um, you know, in, in many ways, it was to meet a need in my own life that the church wasn't meeting. Um, you know, I, as I've said, I'm a Christian, I'm gay. I believe that God calls all Christians to celibacy or Christian marriage with someone of the opposite sex. Um, and, and while I'm not like bisexual, I'm not generally attracted to women. I have been in a couple of relationships with women where I grew a specific desire for them. So I knew that like, if God wanted me to marry a woman, 
that could work. Yeah. Um, but more important than what I want, like I started asking God about five years ago, what he wants, would he rather me get married or commit to vocational singleness? Um, and about three years ago, I felt, you know, strongly that God was calling me to vocational singleness, but I had no idea how to do that well, or in particular, like I didn't know how I would find family in that. Uh, so I asked my pastor, and I'm really thankful for his response. It's also a bit entertaining. He said, um, Peter, uh, our church is probably not going to be a place where you're going to find the family you need. I'm sorry to say, I doubt it's going to be that place anytime soon. And I'm sorry to say that I doubt any church in Nashville is going to be that place anytime soon. But you still need family. So could I challenge you to create it? And then he mm -hmm. said this. Uh, he said, monasticism has been the most common way that celibate people have found family historically. Uh, monasticism has been the greatest source of evangelism in the church. Monasticism has been the greatest source of theology in the church. And monasticism has been the greatest source of social justice in the church. So uh, I think you should start a monastery. <laughs> so a super low-key <laughs> endorsement. Yeah. So, That's awesome. As they say, the rest was history. Um, yeah, three years ago, um, I, we gathered about 10 guys to meet weekly for dinner to explore whether God was calling us to start something like this. And then fast forward today, we have three men living together, practicing the daily and weekly rhythms. And we have another eight guys discerning from a distance whether to move in. Eight guys? Yeah. Yeah. So a healthy number, but trying to grow wisely. Um, in terms mm -hmm. of like what exactly we are, um, well, our, like our mission is to offer family to men called to vocational singleness in Nashville for God's glory. Um, mm -hmm. That looks like we live in a single family homes together. Um, we make commitments to uh, vocational singleness, to celibacy, and commitments to doing family together, and commitments to simplicity with our life and our finances, and commitment to uh, a community covenant uh, together. So that's some of what we do. Okay, I already have 10 trillion questions. Okay. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Yeah. I'm like, each thing you just said, I have a question about each one. Okay, yeah, first of all, it. I know you posted something or sent an email or something about this recently. Like, because I get asked this is how do you know if God is calling you to marriage or singleness? Because marriage, I mean, if you're sensing that call and then you get married, like you're in, you can't be like, wait, JK, <laughs> it's you're in. But with vocational, you said a commitment, you didn't say a vow. Um, so if someone like, are you still holding your hands open? Like if the right lady came along, which I'm saying that, you know, tongue in cheek guys, cause we hear that all the time. So <laughs> chill, you know, if you're single, I'm sure you hear that all the time, but, um, I guess just, are you holding it loosely or is it like, no, I'm in, this is for life. Yeah. So, you know, at least, um, when Jesus talks about a certain kind of singleness in Matthew 19. And when Paul talks about a certain kind of singleness in first Corinthians seven and first Timothy five, and um, they're not talking about waiting for marriage. Hmm. It's only been a thought to mean that in the past, like 50 years by some minority of Protestants in the world. Hmm. Um, what those passages have been clearly understood to me by the vast majority of Christians throughout time and today, even still, is they're talking about a commitment to permanently giving up romance, dating, marriage, sex, children, to use the availability you have to do kingdom work that parents don't have the time and energy to do. Hmm. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus, his disciples, for example, uh, in Matthew 19, they, um, they're responding to Jesus's high teaching about divorce, right? He's, he raises the standard on what would be necessary to get divorced. And his uh, disciples think that's kind of a ridiculous standard. And so they respond back facetiously, well, gosh, if that's, if that's how hard it is to get divorced, it'd be better for us to stay single, right? And, and, and be clear, you know, he, he's, he's talking to teenagers here. That the understanding historically is that his disciples were teenagers, right? So you've got teenagers who are saying, if that's, if I'm going to be stuck in a marriage, maybe it would be better to just never marry, to skip this 
five-year window ahead of me where most of my people, most people get married, just skip that and never get married, right? And Jesus responds to that and basically mm-hmm. says, yeah, for some of you, that is what's good. Um, and then he compares this kind of singleness to being a eunuch, which we know is a, a permanent state. You can't undo genital mutilation. Uh, then Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is talking about a kind of permanent singleness. He's very clear. He's saying it's better to stay in singleness uh, for those who are called to it than to, to, to get married. Even for widows, it might be better for them to do, to do that. Um, and, and then in 1 Timothy 5, there's this basically proto-monastery, this house of widows who are living together. And he names it for the women who um, discerned poorly and then decide to break their commitment to the community. He calls it a sin. So, and then that's just on top of the fact that there were, the, that was the interpretation of those, those passages were even in the early church clear, we're talking about a permanent giving up of those things. And then that's been the consistent teaching of the church. So anyway, there's a kind of singleness that the Bible talks about, and I call it vocational singleness. Historically, it's been called celibacy. That is different from this temporary singleness that we're all born into, this, this singleness of discerning that we're all born into. Um, so yeah. Uh, eventually we make lifetime, I'm, I'm making lifetime commitments to vocational singleness and eventually hopefully lifetime commitments to this community as well. Okay. Now I have 10 trillion more questions, but how <laughs> did you know that you were called to vocational singleness or celibacy that you're talking about? Yeah. So my process was, I just, I felt a clear something from the Holy Spirit. I can't really explain how or why or what it was that I was supposed to be asking God this question. And in the process, I started studying these passages and realized as opposed to there just being two options, marriage and singleness, there were three options, marriage, vocational singleness, and temporary singleness. Um, And then I talked to my pastor, I talked to my parents, I talked to my friends, I talked to my small group. um, And it just kind of slowly, it started feeling like this is what God has for me. Um, and, and then, and then moving toward a place of certainty two like moments that made it, um, clearer for me. The first was I was sitting down with my, a small group at church and we were going through this series where each week a different person would be on the hot seat and they would share about a question that they're discerning. And for most people, it was a question about their, their work. Um, and then they would share about it and let people ask questions and then let people share their opinions or if they feel like they're hearing anything from the Holy Spirit on the question. So for my week, I shared, hey guys, I think God might be calling you to this certain kind of singleness. Here's my evidence. What do you think? The overwhelming response was like both logically and Peter, what we're feeling from the Holy Spirit, this is absolutely what God has for you. Mm. Um, and then like a couple weeks later, so very soon after, and, and, and this is kind of the time when my confidence level went from like 90 to 98% or something like that. Um, I was getting dinner with this, this woman who, um, for work reasons, I, I didn't, it wasn't a date, but I realized while I was sitting there uh, getting dinner with her that I thought she was a really cool person. And this doesn't happen super frequently for me that I'm having dinner mm-hmm. with a woman and I like, and kind of into her. And so I got in the car afterwards and I said, God, this is so confusing. Like I thought two weeks ago you were making clear I'm called to singleness. And now I meet this girl that's kind of cool. And like, you know, I was way fusion tripping and I can imagine marrying her and what do I do? And um, oh, yeah, your bastard started, case. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I started sitting there and kind of doing my version of talking to God, which is I sit there and kind of, I ask a question. And based on what I know of the character of God, an answer to that question kind of pops in my head and I kind of weigh whether it makes sense. And sometimes I feel this extra ump maybe from the Holy Spirit that, okay, yeah, that, that really is something that fits for God. So through that mode, I kind of had this conversation with God where I said, okay, God, well, I, I'm, I thought that you wanted me to do singleness, like permanently, like would, would that be good? And God said, yeah, that would be good. And I said, okay, but this is really confusing because mm-hmm. I just hung out with this girl and she seems cool. And like, I could date her and maybe that could work. Would that be good? And he said, yeah, that would be good too. And I was like, well, dang it, which one do I do? Like, is, do you have a preference? Is there one that's better for me? And I felt a lot of peace that like what God wanted me to hear was both would be good. And you can choose either. But I think vocational singleness would be better for you. 
Mm. And he wasn't making, I didn't think, I didn't in any way think he was making a moral judgment on like vocational singleness is better as a whole. I think vocational singleness and Christian marriage <laughs> are equal. Like what he was saying for you, Peter, like that path will be the better path for you. Mm. And after that moment, I was like, okay, done. Um, mm. Now that's not super helpful for someone who's listening and like, how do I discern? <laughs> um, um, you know, talk to your small group and go on quasi dates with people of the opposite sex. Um, no, that's not my, uh, my five step <laughs> process. Um, I, I would suggest after the fact, I discovered some good books on the topic, uh, which are much more helpful in some ways than my testimony. And, uh, there's a book by Mark Thibodeau, uh, called God's voice within. And it's a book about Christian discernment. Like how does any Christian discern? And I think it's really valuable. And so I think mm-hmm. reading that book or any resource on how do Christians ask God questions intentionally and then apply that to this. And then I think you got to make sure you've got a good theological understanding of both marriage and celibacy. You don't have any theological or mo- emotional hurdles to either. Um, you see if any of your life story has pointed you more towards one or the other. You see if the kind of like occupational vocation, the kind of day, your work, your day job would be better served by, you know, much better served by celibacy or whether maybe the primary work God's calling you to do is to raise kids for the kingdom. Um, And then, yeah, you ask for lots of feedback from mentors in your life. So that's kind of a process. I'm actually in the process of writing a book about that exact question. How do people discern that? So hopefully that happens. That's awesome. Get it. Get it. We know you need more. (laughs) So, Okay. Here we are in this pandemic and you have it's so it's three of you guys living in the same house right now. Um, I love the familial language that you're using and like and I love your mission and that it's not like we're all going to sit around and be cute and like be really cute. <laughs> you know, like it's and just love each other and meet each other's needs because that is just gross. That's gross in a in our family, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's not the Christian life. And so it's love. I love that it's to the glory of God, but I guess just what's your house look like maybe even right now in this pandemic, like, how are you brothers? How are you family? Yeah. So yeah, what that looks like is we, well, we do prayer together every morning. Um, and we do like a kind of an adjusted version of, of like common prayer. You know, we open with confession uh, privately and, and corporately. We sing a song. We read the gospel passage of the day. We uh, do some uh, private uh, kind of prayer, supplication. We say the Lord's Prayer and we sing again. Pretty simple, um, but a good rhythm. Uh, we have multiple like shared meals a week. I mean, these days we're sharing every meal together because coronavirus. Um, but <laughs> Uh, we've got a minimum number of like meals we're doing together. We've got weekly confession and accountability. I've got, we've got monthly like Saturday night worship night, welcoming the Sabbath together. Um, with other people or just you guys? Um, yeah, sometimes with other people right now, it's kind of like a community building time for the guys uh, in the house. But eventually uh, we, we actually plan on moving to a neighborhood where a lot of our married friends live and kind of having a wider experience of intentional Christian community with, um, with married people and their kids. And we love, and we want to include them in that as well. So, um, so yeah, we do those like monthly worship nights and, and, and we do those on Saturday nights because the national family brothers is not a replacement for our churches. Uh, we are all actually required to be committed to the missions and the communities of our local churches. So, so we do that on Saturday to kind of welcome the Sabbath together. Uh, and we do holidays and vacations together. So basically think about like whatever married people do after 5 p.m. and on weekends, like that's what, and I don't mean the physical intimacy part, but I mean like how you spend your time, like what you expect. Oh, I'm going to have someone to watch a movie with. I'm going to have someone to have dinner with. I'm going to have someone to talk through my day with. That's what we've got. Um, and, but on top of that, like using that availability because we're not raising kids to do kingdom work that like parents don't have the time and energy to do. So obviously that's a little different now with coronavirus um, because we're all working (laughs) from home and and some of us are are unemployed right now, which is challenging. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's us. So I sat next to on the last flight that I took before everything shut down. um, I sat next to a nun 
And I, again, had a trillion questions for her. And it was just so fascinating to me. Like, cause so I asked her, I was like, so when you, I just had read Colossians that morning and about like, like this shared community, it's just so about like oneness and, and I don't know, just like the way that Paul talks about community is, is what I think regular old evangelical churches crave. And I was like, so when you read those verses, I was like, you, you, you actually experienced that. She's like, yeah. And she's like, well, the joke around, you know, the convent. Yeah. Is she's like, is what's the best thing about the Christian life is it's community. And what's the worst thing is it's community. (laughs) And so what I heard in that is some of these rhythms that I'm sure you guys have studied and like implemented. But what I appreciated too, is she talked about like how like they go out into, she's a, she's a professor at a local college and, um, she, I, she was like, I couldn't just quit that job without asking my community. And so that's, you know, what married people do, like healthy marriages. We're asking each other and also asking our community, our small groups. We want to do that. But it sounds like for you guys in this Corona life, you guys are also, it sounds like, I don't know. I hear that element of withness, even in how you're like, oh, some of us have lost our jobs. Like there's some grieving together. There's some deciding together. There's just a lot of withness. Is that accurate? Yeah. In, in some constructive ways, I think, because uh, we just had a new guy move in literally like a week before coronavirus started hitting. Um, oh, snap. And it has accelerated the process of us working through conflict in healthy ways um, and learning to do life together. I mean, particularly conversations about how are we going to do social distancing? Because if I'm out, um, you know, hanging out with uh, a bunch of buddies every day, ignoring recommendations uh, from scientists, we're not going to get political here, but, um, and then my roommates are all trying to really, really, you know, religiously following social distancing. Um, All of their work is basically undone if I, because I'm going to bring coronavirus home. So we had to sit down and very carefully say, this is not anyone's individual decision. This is a group decision. And whatever we decide, everyone must commit to. That's not things single people like doing. And that's some of the reasons why people think are the benefits of singleness, freedom from being the king of my own castle. Um, That might be what temporary, prolonged temporary singleness is. That's not what vocational singleness for the Lord is, to be clear. Um, but yeah, none of us are our king of our own castle. Uh, so we've been having to, to, to figure stuff like that out together. Um, you know, we, for example, we've been going grocery shopping once a week and only one of us goes and gets the groceries for everybody. So we created this complex Google sheet where we put in all of our food <laughs> preferences and quantities and uh, descriptions of the thing. And then one person goes and shops for everyone. And then we have this like reconciliation system that one of the brothers designed. So. But hey, it works. And uh, and all of this would have been a lot more painful if we were all just kind of passive aggressively doing whatever we wanted, you know, bickering at each other because they, we weren't following the same rules as the other person was, yada, yada, yada. I love it so stinking much because I have just been noticing... I don't know that the whole world's gone mad, but literally like mad, like angry, like everyone is so like covering up, you know, therapist, like they're mad and they're, they're, they're sad in their fear with rage. And I'm like realizing, oh, and it's me too. And I've got to work on my own garbage. I have not arrived, but like many people, dear Peter, they do not know how to work through like issues with each other. And so we just all go to church and we grit our teeth and then we just, (laughs) and we have this hunger for real community, but we're not actually willing to do the hard work of community, which is, is staying. It's, it's staying and not running and not being self-centered. Well, and this, this is a big, I think a big element of what it means to be family, right? Because married people know you know, even during the dating period, but certainly after you're married for a little while, you can't just keep smiling anymore. You, you, you can't yeah. do 50 years of just ignoring that this person's annoying and you're pissed off about this thing. You're just yeah. going to say it. And then you, and, but because hopefully if it's a Christian marriage and your vows mean something, you know, no matter what I say, they're not going to leave. It may yeah. be painful for me. We may have to work through this in ways that are really uncomfortable, but like, I'm going to just, I'm going to say it. You know, 
Um, mm. And that's a good thing because that's how sanctification happens. That's how iron sharpens iron. Yeah. So if you're a single person, but you're not in some kind of living arrangement where you're stuck with people in a good way, uh, in a healthy environment, but stuck with people, um, you're never going to get to that point where you, you're really honest with each other and iron starts sharpening iron. Um, mm. And so you're right. There's some people who maybe were able to avoid some of these tough conversations or avoid their anger because we had all the distractions of normal life before coronavirus. And now all that stuff's gone and it's just coming out and people are realizing they don't have the capacity to, to do that, but it, it's human to do that. So that's one of the things I'm thankful with for family is it provides the stability so that we can have real relationship and I don't have to be afraid they're going to run away. Okay, okay, okay. But, 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 but what you're saying is not only true for your precious community, but what you're saying should be and isn't biblically universally true for the church. So guys, I hope that as you're listening, this isn't a matter of like, oh, well, vocational singleness or marriage. And I mean, I'm in the middle. Who cares? No, 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 no. <laughs> this is this is a calling for all of us if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ is being willing to be committed to each other in this space and um I'll just say like if you if my friends are listening like if you if you're close with me I'm like we're in and I see you. I love like the language that you're saying of siblings and like, that's, that's so biblical because siblings, you're siblings forever. And so if we're stuck with each other, whether it be coronavirus in the same house or marriage or literally this, we're not just stuck. We're committed to each other in the church. We need to be working out this iron sharpening iron. So, okay. If someone's listening and they are a single person and maybe they're like listening to us right now and they're looking across at their roommate and they're like, yeah, I hate them. <laughs> like, and we're stuck. <laughs> and maybe they're both even Christians or, or maybe a married couple that's listening. Yeah, I hate him. Or just, they're living alone and they're like, I long for this community. What, how, maybe if they're not going to commit to a, a monastery situation, what, what steps can we take to, to taste of this community that you're experiencing? Okay. So, and I, I'm curious of your opinion on this, but I don't, I think no matter how perfect the other person is or the other people are you're living with right now, spending this many weeks stuck with the same people with this much distress, you're going to hate anyone. Like if Jesus was my roommate, I'd be sick of him by now. So, um, <laughs> like, I, so I want to be clear, like, I, there's lots of challenges that different people are facing during coronavirus. I can only imagine that there's lots of married people right now who like some of maybe their like uh, marital issues that were on a, a low simmer before are now boiling. And I, I yeah. want them to hear that like, just because you hate your spouse right now doesn't mean you need to get divorced. Like yeah. let's wait until yeah. after coronavirus, mm -hmm. things chill back, like meet with a therapist mm -hmm. in person and then decide what to do about mm -hmm. all of this. Um, mm -hmm. But everyone's yeah. irritated with everyone right now. Um, yeah. Yep. So, but to your question of what can people do, uh, you know, for, even if they're not sure they're going to do this full thing. Um, I think having rhythms of Christian discipline uh, with whatever people you live with is really helpful because if it's just like, uh, oh, let's pray when we feel like it or when we happen to be up at the same time, that'll work for a week, two that's not going to work for six months. Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and I think we have this, uh, this um, romanticization of um, things being organic and spontaneous <laughs> in America. <laughs> and most of the most beautiful things are not organic or spontaneous. Um, quite the opposite. So yeah. yeah, plan. Hey, these nights we're going to do meals together. We're going to sit down. We're going to have no devices. We're going to, and, and, and if we get bored about conversation, you just sit through the conversation. You don't check a phone. You don't leave early. You know, we're going to sit here for an hour, no matter how boring it gets. Um, or we're going to do prayer at this time in the morning or this time in the night with, with people. Um, we are going to, we're going to confess to each other and invite each other to hold each other accountable to what's next. Um, I mm -hmm. think that's small things. 
that people can do. Um, right now, what we really need to be doing during coronavirus is checking in with each other about our fear and our sadness and our anger and being honest about that. You know, that's yeah. one of the ways that we get it out instead of, mm. you know, screaming at our roommates uh, yeah. over like what dish is left where, because it's not really about the dish, right? That's, that's all of this stuff stuck up in a coming out sideways. So sit down and talk yeah. to your roommates about what's really going on. Share with them. And mm-hmm. you'll probably feel like some of that gets released. So, mm. yeah, those are some ways. Yeah. I think that's so good. It's so beautiful. And and maybe even getting getting from, you know, from where you're at now, just staring at them. It, just starting with, hey, you know what? I listened to this stupid podcast and I don't care. You guys can throw me under any old bus. I don't care. But these guys are talking about whatever. I just, I wanted to say I'm sorry for what I did there. Like, I'm sorry and I was wrong are the hardest words to say. And yet they so are the humble posture. You know, Jesus doesn't need to say I'm sorry, but they're the humble posture of Christ that really opens up conversation and make sure you really mean it. But like, hey, I've been kind of a big old jerk and I would love to do things differently. And I love what you're saying with the intentionality. And it's so true with the organic. Like, that is so true in marriage, too. Like, we're just going to pray and love each other. And he's going to be the spiritual leader. And I'm just going to follow. Like, no. It's it's at, like this morning. So we've been praying as a family. We've been memorizing verses as a family. And like this morning, I didn't want to at all. I want to do everything but pray everything but do our verses but that's usually the time you absolutely need to do it and if you're experiencing this pandemic in any shred of fear or sadness or anger we extra need to do it right now to cultivate what the enemy the real enemy of our souls and the real enemy that we're fighting not our roommate not even rona (laughs) the enemy of our souls is trying to do is steal kill and destroy and of course he wants to do that utilizing this garbage that's going on. Yeah, for sure. Okay. What is, I mean, I actually, the time is now, there's too little time, but would you be willing to just pray a prayer, um, for really whoever's on your heart, but maybe it's just people who are wrestling and who are single right now, who are wrestling with, Oh, I could cry, sense of spirit in this, but just who are wrestling with this aloneness and you're stirring something in them, Peter, and what you're describing with this community. And I know we barely, barely, barely scratch the surface, follow Peter on all of his things and whatever, do all of his things. You get to get to know more, but who are just, there's a hunger in maybe what I'm saying and what you're saying, and they're not experiencing that right now. Would you literally just pray right now for them? Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. Um, God, I uh, pray that one thing we all take away from this pandemic is a reminder that God made us as embodied creatures. Mm. Like that the physical world and real in-person physical connection with other humans matters. Mm. Uh, God, you know, we're all feeling the pain of this distance right now. And we're undeniably aware of how inadequate virtual connection is and we can't wait to return to real life but god i wonder uh i wonder if we've been painfully distant for a lot longer than just a couple months Uh, like if the enemy has been careful to keep us just distracted enough that we didn't notice you know what what if we've actually been atrophying from our dependence on social media and our isolations and separate homes and a lack of commitment to communities of faith and our lack of spiritual disciplines and it's been damaging us and it just took this coronavirus to, I don't know, amplify it enough so that we couldn't ignore it. Mm. So God, I pray that we like don't forget that as soon as social distancing is over. I pray instead that we would uh, finally be honest with ourselves about how inadequate our experience of family in the body of Christ has been. And then we do something about it. Yeah. Um, and God, I hope, I hope you challenge us, uh, give us the, the courage to do that even when it's weird. <laughs> like letting ourselves as Americans meet other people in healthy ways mm-hmm. is weird. 
Uh, physical intimacy with people other than a spouse is weird. Leaning into friendships when they get difficult instead of just trading in for new friends is weird. Um, living in a home with a married couple and a person committed to vocational singleness can be weird. Committing for a lifetime to a church and a community is weird. Um, giving up romance and dating and marriage and sex and kids, the things our country and our churches worship. Giving up those things permanently to do kingdom work, parents don't have the time or energy to do, that's weird. And starting a monastery and uh, committing to being family for a lifetime with other people called a vocational singleness is certainly weird. But God, um, I pray that the married people and the single people listening to this, but particularly the single people out there, would kind of be challenged, you know, how's normal working for you? Mm. And maybe it's time to give weird a try. God, give us the strength to give weird a try. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we are not of this world. Thank you, Peter. That was such a beautiful prayer. Uh, Guys, we would love for you to link up with our brother. I know we're all a little sick of the screens, but he's got some really great resources. And if you're interested in what he's doing there, just to learn some more. um, Really grateful for you. Thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for the opportunity. You are welcome. And guys, if you want to connect with Peter, like I said, he is a great follow. Uh, Peter is really worth checking out his ministry as well as his Instagram where he talks often about this Nashville family of brothers. But next week, we do need some information from you guys. It's our question of the week for next week, which is, what is a word you always misspell? I have one. And I'll just tell you, I'll just say it now. It's exercise, not exorcise. It's exercise. I cannot spell that to save my life. And my, it doesn't automatically spell, fix it for me. Anyway, it's the worst. So which one do you always misspell? What are you always asking Siri or somebody to fix for you? You can look me up on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter is where I usually post the question of the week. Usually it's on Facebook. Again, that hole in my heart podcast episode page. I post it hopefully a couple days before we record, but often the day of. And guys, if you like what you hear, it means so much when you drop us the old five-star review on iTunes. Uh, It just helps other people to find us and is really encouraging if you put an encouraging word there. So thank you. Thanks so much to Peter and the Equip team in the Nashville family of brothers. And for all of us here, all alone in the down, down, spooky stairs at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you. Please, I want to see someone someday. We'll see you next week. <laughs>